First, I just want to say whoever thought of singing the Marines hymn was a brilliant person. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, uh, yeah, you know, we normally do it at the birthday and all that. And, you know, you go to events and then the Air Force is out there, give her the gun and all that other bullshit. And, <laughs> and we just stand there. Well, so I appreciate the fact that, that the band uh, ceased the music and the sergeant major carried us. But with all due respect to the Air Force, the Army, and the Navy, who have songs, we have a hymn. And I think it's a great, if you think about the words in there, that's really our culture. First to fight, keep your honor clean in every climb and place. That's who we are. So I've been agonizing over about what I was going to say. I saw Dan O'Brien on lobby. He said, don't worry about it. You're among friends. And I said, well, you know, I could, I could do the old guy getting ready to go over the side and, and talk about, you know, where I went. And there's, there's people in this room. So for Captain, so you're in Lima, Lima 3, you'll see Lima 3, 4. So Dirk Ali, where's Dirk and Jan? Where are you, man? Okay, so in 1976, Second Lieutenant Neller and Second Lieutenant Ali checked into Lima Company 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines. And then we kind of followed each other around for the next 35 years. And uh, I could talk about that. And there's people in here who have been, I've been involved with you, you've been involved with me. Uh, you made a difference. I appreciate your support. And the other day I was at the basic school and we were talking about night attack and training and all that. And the, and the gunner goes, well, no, sir, you're kind of like the village elder. <laughs> I had to think about that for a minute, and I said, well, okay, is that a good thing? And he says, well, yeah, it is, but you are like the village elder. So I thought, I, you know, I could do a village elder thing and talk about, you know, what it was like at post-Vietnam and how people like uh, Buck Bedard and, and General Wilhelm and, and all the other seniors officers in here stayed, and we fought through all that stuff, and we fixed ourselves, and we got money, and we went through the Soviet Union, and the wall came down, and then we went through another period in Desert Shield, and went to Bob Tisselvi and I in Panama, and then you know I was talking to Bill Journey about going to CACs in 1990, uh, 1990, uh, 1998. I mean, and, and, and then next thing, 9-11, and, and our world change. I could talk about that. And for all the young Marines here in uniform, all these old guys in here, they really used to have some game. It doesn't look like that anymore, but there were some really bad dudes in here. You know, so, you know, be patient. But then I was walking in, and I saw Scott Cuomo, and I'm like, oh, shit. If I go and do the old village elder thing, Cuomo's going to say, I'm ducking it. So I'm not going to duck it. All good, sir. It's all good. So I'm listening. And, and General Boudreau touched on a bunch of this stuff. So, I mean, the big question, and I'm thinking, it's like, you know, everybody wants to know, who are we? Well, I think we're the same Marine Corps we, we were before. I mean, we've gone through all the transitions. You think about World War One, first the fight, sustained ground combat ashore. We came back. We had people forming up, and then we disbanded, and then we ended up in small wars in Haiti and Nicaragua, and then uh, Pete Ellis and the landing party manual, and then we have a war where we do uh, operations against naval, seize and secure advanced naval bases as part of a naval campaign, and that becomes written in law. So if you want to know who we are, it's written in the law. Marine Corps, we've combined arms force and naval force. That 
primary mission is to seize and secure advanced naval bases in the prosecution of the naval campaign and conduct sustained operations ashore in support of that campaign. And they will also do whatever the president may direct. That's what we do. And we're a balanced force, we're a balanced MAGTAP. We've pioneered the combined arms team. And from time to time, about every generation, whether it be World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and then the last AOIF, OEF, we've done sustained operations ashore. But we are, by nature, a naval force. And the national defense strategy tells us that. It tells us who our pacing adversary is, not at the exclusion of other people. So I believe we need to be continue to be a combined arms, balanced MAGTAF. That said, there's capabilities that we are developing and we need to continue to develop through experimentation and testing. And we need the Scott Cuomo's of the world and other people out there to hold us to account and tell us, hey, have you thought about this? Well, what about this? You guys aren't thinking about this. Hey, we need more unmanned ISR. Okay. Do we really want to spend our money on this? And General Brian started to, to touch on that. So there's a lot of hard choices out there. And, you know, there's things that we thought we were going to do that we didn't get done, like naval integration. I read an article today that's going to be on War on the Rocks. Hey, we, naval integration is not exchanging staff officers between a Navy and a Marine Corps command. It's much more sophisticated than that. And that's a fair statement. So we're going to go out there. We, we know that, as General Boudreau said, you know, cyber and space, there's people writing, hey, we, shouldn't have, we should have another force do cyber for us. I disagree. We're in the information space. We fight in information space. We fight electronic warfare. We fight in cyber every day. We need to have our own organic capability to take that with us because we're the force, as the National Defense Strategy says, that is forward deployed in the contact and blunt zone, and we've got to be able to take that first blow. We've got to survive in that zone. And we've got to hold the line until the rest of the force gets there. But that's who we are. That's what we do as part of that forward naval force. Do we have all the capabilities we need to do that? Do we have the ability to seize and secure advanced naval bases and move them around? Because now we know we're targetable. The range and the accuracy of munitions are much, much greater. So hence, simple things like improved camouflage and the ability to distribute that force and move that force. So we have to improve our connectors. Noted. So all these things that are out there, you know, they, they're there. And there are capabilities that we need to have. We need to work with the Navy on improve the availability of other platforms, big platforms and small platforms. So we're going to have to fight to get to the fight. We haven't fought to get to the fight since World War II. We just went. And we arrived, and we RSO had eyed, and we lined ourselves up, and we went and did it, or we towed and sat in the same seat we sat in three years before, and calm was perfect, and the enemy had no air, and that's not going to be that way. So we've got to survive that first blow. I think we understand we've got to have resilient, reliable, recoverable comms. We've got to have improved long-range precision fire. We have to be able to control maritime space from the sea space, or from the land space. We've got to control the sea from the land as part of that naval campaign. And there's capabilities that we're going to test, and we are going to get, that are going to help us do that. So there's trades. General Boudreau talked about them. Because there is not going to be any more people, in my opinion. We've been very fortunate. We've had a pretty substantial budget the last three years. 
And we, we thought at one time, three years ago, we went through the force structure, General Ray Paxton remembers this, that we thought we were going to be at a certain size. And so there were some really tough trades. And we were funded to the point where we didn't have to make some of those really hard choices to generate the structure to do the things that we needed to do with the MEF information group. So I think we have to be prepared for those days that are coming ahead. And so what is it going to be? I mean, is, you know, how much ISR do we have? Can we afford to have multiple capabilities in different formations? Does every infantry battalion, are they going to need a robot platoon to fly UAVs and to run ground robots? And if they do, what are you going to give up to pay for that? Uh, if there's going to be a large number of small connectors, whether they're manned or unmanned, how is the Navy going to man and equip and maintain those ships? Uh, how much intel do we need? Um, are there things that we're doing that are important, but they're not as important as the things we think we're going to need to do for the future, and we can maybe, um, they're maybe not what we consider our core competencies. And at the same time, you know, we've got to continue to have the training base to do the things we need to do. So all those things are out there. And I think we've addressed some of them. I mean, you get to the end, you know, you can think about, hey, we got this done, we got this done. But as a Marine, you normally think, oh, I didn't get this done, I didn't get, we didn't get to this, we didn't get to this, we didn't get to this. But it, we didn't close on it, like ground vehicles. How many ground vehicles do we need? And what kind do we need? And that discussion goes on because, you know, everybody has a view. Because, well, what about this? What about, what if we go here and do this? What if we go here and do this? Well, what are the odds that we're going to do this? So there's tough trades, and I just want to make sure everybody understands we're taking, we're having that discussion, and that discussion will continue. Um, whoever takes over takes over this office. But at the end of the day, the things that we have to continue to do are pretty clear to me. We got to find really good people. We got to make them into Marines. We got to train them to standard. We got to be hard but firm with them. We've got to be the best leaders that we can be because we have to do our best to inspire and, ex ex and get these young men and women to model our behavior, which has got to be the best that we can provide to them. And we've got to hold ourselves accountable and them accountable. And we've got to go and do hard stuff, and we've got to go out there, and we have to, at the same time, ensure that the American people believe that we are the Marine Corps that we tell them that they deserve to have. And I'm confident that all that's going to happen. I mean, but that's kind of the baseline of this whole thing. So we'll have all the discussions about force structure and capabilities and end strength and budget and how many of this and how many of that, and that's all important. But if we can't do those foundational things, which is the foundation of our house, people, dignity and respect, hard work, keep your honor clean, in every climb and place, the rest of that, we'll, we won't be able to leverage it to the way that we need to do it. So it never stops. You know, you kind of think at a certain point, well, you just kind of check off the net. Um, you know, I've had this conversation myself. When are you going to check off the net? Like, well, probably the evening, 11 July. It's probably the night I'll check off the net because I'll be off the net. <laughs> but not till then, because, you know, if you, as many of you have given your whole life to this organization, you, you dearly, dearly care about uh, 
about who we are and what we represent, because you've been in hard places, you've lost friends, uh, you've been successful, you've seen the will of Marines come up at a time and just do really incredibly amazing things, and that's probably why you stuck around. Because Marines are amazing people. So to all the families of the award recipients tonight, and, and I'm standing in front of that event, and um, we really appreciate the fact that you're here. Uh, we will... You know, we never say thank you enough to our family. I could sit here, I could have done the whole speech about Darcy, right? I mean, so, I mean, none of us would be here if we didn't have somebody there to, you know, take care of the, the hard stuff and kick you in the ass when you needed to go to work in the morning and tell you to stop your whiny bullshit. <laughs> I could have talked said that about you too, Sue, but I didn't say that. <laughs> but, uh, so this is a team game, and you're still all part of the team. And I would just close and say I, I truly appreciate the friendship of the, so many people in this room, from the basic school all the way through today, all the people who shaped and advised and counseled me and gave me good advice and told me when I had bad ideas and gave me a better thought. Uh, or just simply listened to my whatever I was saying at the time and just patted me on the head and said, you know, you're going to do fine. Or maybe we need to talk about that. <laughs> but it's all good. So again, uh, I appreciate the fact that you're here. I appreciate your fact. I was here for the very first one when, the, when General Bedar put this thing together. It doesn't... You know, and I was uh, trying to make it all put come together. Uh, I think Riggs Elmer was there too, and we were. And this was a kind of a grand experiment about how we're going to do advocacy and the ground combat element. And I'm sure General Bedard. I know he's back in Vegas. If he, he's aware this is going on, and I think he's very proud. He and General Commandant Jones had this idea that the infantry or the ground combat element need to advocate for what their requirements were. So we appreciate the fact that you're here. And I, again, I thank you for your support uh, of your Marines. So with that, let's get to the awards. Thanks.